wanna preach a message to you called there's something in the water. There must be something in the water. There must be something in the water. There must be something in the water, water, water. How, how many of you guys have heard that song? Four of you. It's on KXOJ. You need to listen to the Christian radio station. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. Second Kings chapter two. And um, as you're turning there, let me just say, some people ask, you know, why do you and Ashley pull away to spend time with your family, with your kids and on each other and on your personal souls. Well, let me just give you the reason in case you're wondering. About three years ago, some pastors and mentors sat down with, with Ashley and I and they said, you know, Paul, ministry is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And the victory needs you for the long haul, not just for a short season. You were not born to die young. And in order to do that, we know you're in your 30s. This is prime time. You can work every day, all day, and never take a break until you're 50 years old, and then you'll need a break. But they said, why don't you start pacing yourself? And, and they said, the church will be fine if you guys take a few weeks away to really invest in your marriage, in your family, your children, and in your, just your personal health, your physical health, mental and emotional health. And I said, you know, I don't want to do that. They said, well, do you remember what your dad told you right before he passed? because they, they had had a close relationship with me and still do. I said, yeah. He said that he was gonna take more time on a regular basis every year to pull away and to rest with the family and be refreshed and that the church would be okay and other people would help hold the fort down and he would come back even more refreshed and ready for the long haul. They said, don't you think your dad's words are wise? I said, yes, I do. They said, don't you think you should follow his advice? I said, yes, I do. And so from that moment on, about three years, two and a half years ago, we decided that once a year we would take some weeks back to back to really rest and be refreshed and hear from God and pour into each other. And I can tell you this, I'm a better man because of it. Our marriage is better because of it. Our kids are better because of it. And my health, my mental, emotional, physical health, and my walk with Jesus gets more and more on fire during that. So I wanna say thank you as a church for understanding that we do that for your sake. And honestly, I think the church is healthier because of it. And uh, how many of y'all think that it's important to be ready for the long haul, that this is a marathon, not a sprint? Well, I'm thankful for you, church. And I encourage you, you know, if you have a hard time, for me, it's hard to rest. I like to work. I find more rest working than I do resting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like preaching for me, I enjoy it. I enjoy reading and studying and getting up and preaching and leading meetings. I enjoy uh, being at work. And so for me, it takes a lot more effort and self-control to turn it off. And so during this last, really last several weeks, I've been on a flip phone. So if you haven't been able to get a hold of me or it's taken a long time for me to text you back, it's because this literally does not work very well at all. This thing can only call, it only even saves a few numbers and it takes 10 minutes to send a one sentence text message. How many of y'all are still on the flip phone? All right, come on. You know, some people are like, I didn't even know those dinosaurs still existed. Yeah, they do. And, and uh, anyways, I got lost a lot because this doesn't have maps on it. There's, there's no map. So, and that really ties into the message today. Let's get into the word of God. Second Kings chapter two, verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. This is Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Let's continue on here. 
Next verse. So Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. You know, I think something's interesting about Elisha saying, my father, my father. This was not his biological dad. But he had become so impacted by Elijah, he was a spiritual father to him. We need more spiritual fathers in the church. More men who will be a father to young boys who are looking for an example. Someone who will pour into them. And for Elisha, this was a difficult moment because he was losing his dad. Not his biological dad, he was losing his spiritual father, his pastor. And Elisha saw him no more. And so Elisha took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. Next verse. And Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. I remember when my father was passing away that night in the hospital in Houston, Texas. And I remember sitting by his bedside, I held his hand that whole night, just cried, couldn't go to sleep, didn't wanna go to sleep. And uh, for, for 16 hours, just praying and, and believing God that things would change and turn around. And I remember when the EKG monitor flatlined and just tears kept streaming down, couldn't stop crying. And then something different that I wasn't thinking about or planning on, it was almost like it was just something in the moment that came over me. I took my dad's hand and I just placed it on my head. Just his big hand. His hands had swollen during that time. And I placed it on my head. And I said, Dad, I miss you. And I love you. And I hope you, I hope you'll come back to life. But nonetheless, I want what was on you. Whatever was in you, God, Lord, let it get in me. Let it be on me. And something was happening. I could just feel it in the room. You ever felt that in your, it's like just chills go down your spine. You feel something is happening. I mean, that's the presence and the power of God. I just felt this download from his hand on my head. Whatever's in you, let it get in me. Whatever's on you, I want it to be on me. I wanted the spirit of my dad. And not, not I didn't want to be a copy. I just wanted what God was doing in my father. I had no plans to, I wasn't even thinking or planning to be the pastor of victory, but I remember that night seeing this vision of my dad standing between two large figures, and I imagined it was God and Jesus. That's who I thought it was. I didn't see their faces, but I could just feel light on both sides, and my dad was in the middle smiling, and I, heard, I, I could just feel in this vision him saying, that's my family, and I love them, and the church is going to be just fine. I could feel that that night in that room. Now, maybe some of you in this place have never had a vision before, or maybe you have, and you know what I'm talking about. And it's not an audible voice, it's something that you see in your heart, in your spirit, something deep down inside. I believe for Elisha in this moment, he was saying, Lord, I want what was on him. Lord, I want what was in my spiritual father. I want Elijah's anointing. I want the spirit that was resting on him to be in me. And I believe God wants you to walk in an, in an anointing in your life. I believe God wants to move in and through your life in a way that he did through your heroes. God does not just reserve his power and his anointing for people who are on the stage. He has it for every single believer that says, Lord, I want what was on Billy Graham. Lord, I want the spirit that was on Billy Joe. Lord, I want that integrity. Lord, I want that passion for God. That The Bible says you have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe that God can't do it or you believe that God is only 
a God of favorites, that he has his favorites, that he's got a few people picked out that he wants to move in and move through. But can I tell you, you are a favorite of God's. You're the apple of his eye. He wants to move in your life. He wants to move in your marriage. He wants to move in your family. He wants to move in your business. He wants to move through your actions. Come on, somebody. And so Elisha said this. He took the cloak that had fallen and he struck the water with it. And he said, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? In other words, he was saying, God, I know you were with my father. I know you were in my spiritual father. But Lord, I'm looking for you, not just as a past God, but as a present God. I know you moved in the past. And if you did it back then, you can do it again. You can do it right now. Where are you, God? And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. This was the first miracle of Elisha. Elisha would go on to do more miracles than his spiritual father, Elijah. I'm so glad that God is not a God just of talk, but he's a God of power, that he demonstrates his power in our lives. Every single week, we see the power of God working in this church. The power of God didn't stop when the Bible was finished. The power of God continues. Acts is still being written today in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're seeing miracle signs and wonders. You're sitting in a debt-free miracle building. You're sitting next to some miracles in the room. You're listening to a miracle today. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're sitting by a miracle today. Day. Come on, you're sitting by a miracle today. How many of you should have died years ago in a car accident, in a fire, in something cancer, something that was supposed to take you out, but you're still here? The miracle is in the house. Come on! By the way, I'm going to get to the point of the message. This is just a lead up. <laughs> I'm so fired up. I got like a hundred sermons I want to preach to you. I literally wrote down in the last four weeks, literally a hundred, <laughs> so many messages. I was trying to figure out which one to preach today. I'm a little rusty, so just flow with me. It's going to get better next week. Come back. Um, but the company of the prophets from Jericho, this is important. They were watching from a distance. There's people who are right in the moment with God and there's people who watch from a distance. Don't be someone who watches from a distance. Be that one that's right up in the middle of the moment. Don't be someone who hears about what God's doing at Victory Conference. Be someone who's right in the middle of what God does at Victory Conference. And as they were watching from a distance, they said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet Elisha and they bowed to the ground before him. And they said, look, we are your servants and we have 50 able men. And let them go and look for your master. When you're watching from a distance, you miss the point of the moment. They said, let's go look for Elijah. Maybe God picked him up and dropped him over there by the valley. Maybe God picked him up and put him by Galilee. Maybe God picked him up and put him on Masada, some mountain. Maybe he's down in Egypt. Maybe he got dropped off in Macedonia. We don't know where he is. Let's go look for him. Elijah's just shaking his head. He's like, you missed the moment. Elijah wasn't transported somewhere else, Elijah was taken up to heaven. Elisha knew this because he was close enough to see it. The closer you are to God, the more you understand what's going on in your life. The further away you stand, the more you have the possibility to misinterpret what God's trying to say and what God's trying to do. 
This is why God says, draw close to the Lord and he will draw close to you. And so Elisha was close enough to understand it. And he said, no, don't go look for Elijah. But they persisted until Elisha was so embarrassed that he could not refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but they did not find Elijah. And when they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, that's important. I want you to remember that. He was staying in Jericho. And he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go looking for my master? Didn't I tell you not to go looking for my spiritual father? He's gone. And he's not gone forever, but he's definitely gone for now. And God will use him sometime way in the future. But I told you not to go. We waste our time when we're not close to God. We do things that are unproductive. The more we drift from God, not only does it hurt the closeness and the passion, but it even wastes our time. We end up doing unproductive things. Okay, here's where I'm getting to right here. This is important. But I had to read that to get to there, to here. So he was in Jericho and the people of that city came to Elisha and they said, look, our Lord. In other words, they, they saw Elisha as a God to them, not, not as the God, but as the voice of God. He was a prophet. That's what prophets do. They hear God's voice and they speak on behalf of God. And they said, look, God, this town is well situated. Jericho is a prosperous city. Jericho, in case you forgot, I preached about Jericho four weeks ago. Jericho was the first city that the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho to get into the promised land. When Moses, back in the book of Deuteronomy and, and really Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses sent the spies with Joshua and Caleb to go and spy out the land. First city they go to is Jericho. What do they find? Massive grapes. They find tons of fruit. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. You know about Jericho. This was a big city. This was a prosperous city. This was a productive city. This was a city that had a reputation. Big reputation. Big reputation. Jericho had a great reputation. It was the place that everyone wanted to go. It was a prosperous, productive land flowing with milk and honey, big grapes, beautiful, clean water. But over time, things had changed in Jericho. And that's probably the case for a lot of people. This town is well situated, Elisha, as you can see. You've heard the stories about Jericho. But something's got into the water. The water has turned bad. It's become bitter. And because the water has turned bad, the land has become unproductive. I'm going to stop right there before I finish this. But I think about how... There's people that I know that at one time they were so strong, so on fire for God, so productive, and something happened. Something changed. Something broke their heart. This wasn't a land problem. If you were to judge this situation just by the surface, you'd, you'd be with the farmers. You'd be looking at the crops. You go, why are we losing our crops? Why is fruit not growing on our trees anymore? Why are our trees dying why are the leaves withering? Why are our animals dying? Why is the, the, the vegetables aren't growing? You know, the thing that connects vegans and carnivores like me is that we all need water, right? Because even vegans, you can't eat vegetables without water. Like the, the vegetables don't grow without water. The, the salad, the plants doesn't grow without water and the animals don't live without water. You'd be looking at the land, you'd be going, something is wrong. I see water. It's possible to have water 
and yet the water is contaminated. You know, so many people, they think, I've done the right thing. I've gone to church. This, let me say this, this right here is not contaminated. But when someone reads this from a contaminated spirit, they misinterpret and they make decisions from a very deceived standpoint. And they use the word of God to say, yeah, I think God's cool with it. No, no, this isn't contaminated, but something's off here. And when something's off here, you can even be in water, in a place where there's life. But when it gets contaminated, what's meant to bring life, it starts killing everything around it. When the water turns bitter, everything starts to die. We can't live without water. Animals can't live without water. Plants can't. When, 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 we, when we send things, people out of space and, and, and NASA sends stuff to go look on what's other planets, the first thing they look for is water. Because if there's water, there's the potential for life to be sustained on other planets. This planet wouldn't survive without water. But can I tell you that right now, factually, there are two billion people that are drinking from contaminated water. It's contaminated by feces. Two billion people in the world right now are drinking from contaminated water. This is why clean water is such a huge deal. As a church this summer, we built six water wells in Peru, in the Amazon jungle. Yeah, come on church, give yourselves a hand. Every summer we've tried to bring water wells. We went to Haiti a few years back and we, brought, uh, we, we, we built clean water wells. I remember these kids lining up in front of this water well with their buckets. And it was everything for them because it meant longer life. You can drink contaminated water for a while, but eventually it starts to affect you. Ask the people of Flint, Michigan. If you forgot, Flint, Michigan for four years, between 2014, 2018, they had a water crisis. It wasn't that they didn't have water, it's that their water was contaminated. They were drinking from the Detroit River up until 2014, Michigan wanted to save money and so they switched sources and they started pumping water from the Flint River. The only problem is the guys who were supposed to do their job, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job. They were supposed to put the corrosion purification uh, uh, parts on the tubes that were pumping the water to the homes from the Flint River and they didn't put it in. Initially, it could have been maybe a $50,000 expense, maybe 100,000, but it ended up costing the state of Michigan more than $30 million with lawsuits and 12 people died, hundreds of people got sick because the water was contaminated. You can drink contaminated water for a while, but eventually it starts to catch up. Right now in the ocean, people are complaining because there's uh, trash that has been collecting. When you throw trash into the ocean, it doesn't disintegrate, it, it congregates, especially the plastics. So there's people that it's just like tons of trash that's just piling up. People are drinking nasty water and they're trying to survive on it. And what I think about for Jericho is this city at one time had clean water. They had pure water, everything was good but something got in the water. At some point, it became bad. I'll never forget going to work for this camp in Maryland 13 years ago. And I, I went to go and do my first interview. I had moved there. They said, you know, what you'll do is you'll move here and then you'll sit down with a supervisor who will interview you and then he'll place you in a job at this camp. So I went into this supervisor's office 
I handed him my resume. He barely looked at it, looks up at me. He says, you know, what do you do? I said, I'm a college student. He said, okay, what's your passion? I said, man, I love people. I, I love ministering to people. I wanna help people. Is there any jobs where I can work with people at the camp? He said, well, where are you from? I said, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He goes, oh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with Tulsa? I love our city. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Best city in the world. He said, let me tell you something about Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, what's wrong with the city? He's like, well, it's not the city, it's the people. I was like, what? I'm a person from Tulsa. He goes, well, it's not you, it's just some people. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, I went to this church called Victory Christian Center. <laughs> I'm sitting there. He did not look at the resume. And I said, yeah, well, what, 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 what happened there? He said, well... And he starts listing these offenses, petty little offenses. And I'm sitting on the other side of this table of this man who's twice my age, but I feel more spiritually mature than him. This should not be. I'm thinking, you got offended because of that? I feel like the older we get, the more spiritually mature we should become, right? Like, I, I hope that as I get older, I'm more graceful that I'm able to forgive people easier. It, it makes sense when you're a baby Christian to have a hard time walking in forgiveness, walking in love, showing mercy. But the older you get and the longer you're following Jesus, I feel like you're supposed to mature spiritually, right? Okay, most of us agree. Some of us are like, I don't know, I think we're supposed to. It gets harder, Paul. We become grumpier. Okay, well. Uh, I'm sitting there and this man is spewing out poison, bitterness. And I was thinking to myself, what happened? Who broke your heart? When did the water change from pure to bitter? When did it get contaminated? By the way, the water in this story represents our hearts. It's not, it doesn't represent God's word, it represents our hearts. If you look in the story and you understand it, in fact, the Bible even reflects, oftentimes there's multiple symbols. The Old Testament is always a foreshadow of the New Testament. So the stories that we read in the Old Testament, it's telling us what's gonna come in the New. When you read the story of Joseph being betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave into captivity, and then redeemed and then forgiving his brothers, it's a foreshadow of what Jesus would do for us that Jesus would take our captivity, our slavery. He would be betrayed and he would forgive those who hurt him the worst. When you read the story of Moses and the Israelites, Moses going and delivering the Israelites out of bondage and slavery and bringing them out of Egypt into the promised land. It's a story of what Jesus would do for us. And every story you read in the, Jesus is in every book of the Bible. Jesus is in every story. You might've missed this story. You might've missed what Jesus was trying to speak. But as I was reading this, it was jumping off the pages. This is my story. This is your story. This is the man's story. I was sitting across the table. You know, it's possible in the New Testament it says it's possible to get saved, to let Jesus rule in your heart and yet to drift from the heart of God. This is why Hebrews warns, do not let any root of bitterness grow on the inside of you. Do not shipwreck your faith like so many people have. Do not drift from the word of God, from the ways of God, from the heart of God. Something had happened in this man's heart. And he began to talk. And then he got to talk and he said, you know, those pastors of Victory Christian Center, Billy Joe and Sharon Doherty, 
nobody talks about my mama. I was ready to take this man out. You talk about my mama, it's over. I cut you. I'm redeemed, but I still got a little bit of that edge. But uh, I sat there and I was, I was getting angry listening to this man spew out his bitterness. And I felt God say, just, just forgive him. Just forgive him, he needs that. And I said, sir, the people you're talking about, that's my church. The pastors you're talking about, those are my parents. He looked at the resume and goes, oh, Doherty. <gasps> Billy Joe's your dad, Sharon. Oh, I didn't mean what I said. Uh, yeah. I said, you're wrong about them. And I said, I can tell you're really hurt and offended. And the things that you're talking about, I think you misunderstand those moments. You misinterpreted those moments because their hearts are pure and that church is amazing. And he said, okay, all right. You know, and he gave me a really bad job. <laughs> but at the end of the summer, he came up to me, I kid you not, he came up to me. Not every story ends amazing. I'm not the hero in all the stories, I understand that. But in this story, this was a good story. He, uh, he came up to me and he said, you know, I was wrong about your parents. And he said, before you go home, I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry. And he said, I, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I was bitter towards that situation. And he said, watching you this summer just work and show up and, and give it your all and not complain and not quit. He said, I, God was convicting me this summer and I wanna apologize. I could just feel the presence of God just washing this man's heart. If you look at someone's sin, the sin is not the problem. The land is not the problem, it's the water. It's beneath the surface. You're looking at someone's lust and you go, man, he's got a lust issue. No, he's got a father wound. You're looking at this girl who just keeps opening her heart up to the wrong guy. And you're going, man, what is wrong with this? But you don't understand. There's something beneath the surface. The water represents our hearts. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it springs, flows. This verse is about water. It springs the issues of life. The heart is the spring of water. And when the spring gets contaminated, Eventually, the external, the land, the land represents your life, your actions, the results of your life. These people came to Elisha. They said, the outside is unproductive. We don't see the fruit we used to see. Our trees are dying. Our business isn't prospering like it used to. Our family feels like it's fallen apart. Our marriage is not productive like it used to be. We haven't grown in our relationship in years. The intimacy is no longer productive. My love is not productive. My walk with God is not productive. I've lost the productivity. The word productivity makes sense in a business person's mind. You understand it means growth. It means prosperity. It means health. When something is productive, you mean it's producing. But when it becomes unproductive, you start to ask the question, how did it happen? Where did it start? And for these people, they were finally at a point of responsibility, taking the ownership. I want the keys to come out. They realized this was not a problem with the land. This was a problem with the water. And they figured it out. The water has become bitter. And they said, Lord, can you fix this? God, can you fix this? Why don't you say that with me? God, can you fix this? 
That's what they were asking. God, can you fix this? God, can you fix this problem in our house? God, can you fix this addiction? Can you break it off me? God, can you fix this depression? God, can you heal this situation between me and my son? God, can you heal my father of cancer? God, can you fix this situation? God, can you fix what's going on with our finances? It just feels like we're never having enough. Can't remember the last time we even had money to go on a date night. God, can you fix this? God, I can't remember the last time I even laughed, had a belly laugh. My joy is no longer productive like it used to be. I'm not seeing the fruit, the fruits of the spirit that I used to see. God, can you fix this? And Elisha, I love what he says, because it's so interesting. God was just speaking this to me. He says, bring me a new bowl. A new bowl. I don't want an old bowl. I want a new bowl. Bring me a new bowl. And put some salt in it. Bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. Salt in scripture is referred to a lot. Salt is a purifying substance. Salt is what people use to make something taste a little bit better. We need salt, by the way. Not too much salt, but we need salt. Salt is the flavor of God in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. He wasn't talking about salt. He was talking about the character of God. You are the flavor of God in the earth. You are as I am. Jesus was the first salt. He was the salt that would come in and change the world. He was the first light. The light came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. But Jesus was switching the narrative in Matthew 5. He was saying, now you're the salt and you're the light. And when I'm gone, I want you to carry the presence and the fragrance and the flavor of God. I want you to apply God's word in your life. I want you to walk in the fruits of the spirit. I want the salt because if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? I want the salt to remain salty. I don't want it to be contaminated. I want you to practice the word of God. Don't just memorize scripture, live the scriptures. Don't just know for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Don't just memorize scriptures, forgive each other. Walk in integrity, give to the kingdom of God. Forgive those who hurt you. Turn the other cheek. Pray and keep on praying. And when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Start off with worship to God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. And when you fast and when you help those who are poor, don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing. Don't announce your generosity in the street. Carry the salt of God. Be the flavor that God wants you to be in this world. But what good is the right actions done from the wrong spirit? A new bowl means a renewed mind, a renewed heart. Clean actions with a contaminated spirit is still contaminated. Like when I ask my kids to do the right thing when they've done the wrong thing, <laughs> when I tell Liam, Liam, you need to go back and you need to say sorry to your brother and you need to not push him down and not call him names. Fine. You need to pick up the toys in the room. Okay. 
I don't want him to just obey what I've asked him to do. I want him to obey me from the right spirit. Give me a new bowl. Don't just, I went to church, God, can you fix this? There's a lot of people that go to church, which is a good thing, but when it's done from a wrong spirit, an old bowl. So how do you get a new bowl? It's grace, it's all grace. You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. So you say, Lord, would you renew my heart? Would you give me a new bowl? God, help me to see things the way you want me to see it. Lord, I'm going through something and I need you to fix it. It's out of my control. There's nothing I can do about it. I've tried. But somewhere the water got contaminated. While I was trying, I got frustrated. I got bitter towards the people. So Lord, I need a new bowl. God, I need a renewed mind and a renewed heart. And that's what God does. He gives it to you by grace. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn a new bowl. You can't earn a new heart. You can't earn righteousness. It's by faith in God. His grace gives it to you. But then the salt, that's your part. This miracle is motion activated. It, it requires participation on your part. A lot of people want God to do everything. God, can you fix the water? God, can you heal the marriage? God, can you fix my business? And God's saying, well, put some salt on it. Start tithing again. <sighs> I've heard that before. Give and it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Put some salt. Salt is your obedience to God's word. Again, that's grace too. By the grace of God, we're able to follow what God's called us to do. So it's not your actions, it's from this renewed spirit, this renewed mind. So Elisha says, give me a new bowl and put salt in it. He's asking the people to do something from a new spot because they know something's off in their town. And then he takes the salt. Watch what this happens in the next verse. He, want, he goes out to the spring. I remember hearing this story many years ago about this village. True story, this village thrived around water. They had a brook that came right through their town and it was clean, it was pure, it was beautiful. But something happened along the way. The water got contaminated and kids started dying. People started moving from the village. Businesses started closing down. Everything was built around the water and, and it was killing the village. It was shrinking the village. So finally, the elders of the village, they sent someone to go and follow the stream to see where it started, to find if there was anything that they could find in the water. So a man went walking along the brook, followed it all the way to the top of a mountain where it started from the spring. For out of the heart flows the issues of life. When the man found the top of the mountain, the top of where the spring was, he saw multiple rats that had died and were wedged between rocks. Rats carry multiple diseases and germs. It had plagued the water. All they had to do was pull out the rats and the water would be clean again, it would flow. Once the stuff was downstream, they would begin to see the clean, fresh water again. So man pulls the rats out, gets them all cleaned out, all the junk, all the guts, all the nasty stuff. And the village began to thrive again. Elisha took the salt and he threw it on the water. Watch this. And he says, the Lord says this today. I have healed this water and never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. I have healed 
this marriage and never again will it experience the death. I've healed your husband. I've healed your wife's heart. And never again will you feel the spirit of death in the house. Never again will there be unproductivity. I've healed this business. See, there's something about prophesying in the midst of it. The water represents the heart. The land represents the external. The new bowl represents a new heart. The salt represents the obedience of God and the prophetic word. God wants you to speak and prophesy over the situations you're looking at. Don't just call it like you see it. Speak what God wants to do in that situation. There's no situation that's too impossible that God cannot fix, that God cannot heal. And when the water gets healed, everything the water touches, watch this, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. The water began to bring the new life again. Ezekiel 47 says this, and I love this. In verse one, it says, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. And the water was coming down from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate. He led me around to the outside facing the east and the water kept trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and he led me through water that was ankle deep. And then he led me another thousand cubits and it was knee deep and another thousand cubits and I was waist deep. And the water kept growing after a thousand cubits. It was a river that I could not even cross because the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. In other words, there's fruit, there's productivity. This water flows towards the Eastern region. It goes towards the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the Dead Sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So wherever the river flows, everything will flourish. Everything will flourish. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to In Aglim and there will be places for spreading nets and the fish will be of many kinds. The fish of the Mediterranean Sea keep going, but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month, this church will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows them. Every month, this man will bear fruit. This business will bear fruit. This marriage, the leaves will not wither and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing of the nations. Can I tell you something? When the water gets clean, everything it touches brings healing. When you get your heart purified, some of you don't even realize that there's contamination. I want to end, but I feel like God's speaking something to me. Even as a pastor, it's possible over time to let things get on the inside of you. Hurts, wounds, rejection, things that you thought were going to go one way and didn't go that way. Things that take a lot longer than you expected and unintentionally you get hurt or you get impatient. And this past month, I, I was taking some time just to pray and reflect on what God was doing. And because I was on the flip phone, <laughs> I was getting lost everywhere. And for a few days, Ashley said, 
every month, every year we've done this, take some time to go hear from God. And so I went back to the Grand Canyon. The only problem was I got lost because I didn't have a map. I had to rely upon an old paper map. I went to gas stations. I said, do you guys have any maps? They said, maps, who uses maps? It's on the phone. I said, you know, the old paper maps you used to sell in gas stations. They said, no, maybe that little subway over there has one. So I found a little place that had a little map, but I got lost because that map didn't have the whole map until I found an old road. It literally said the old road. It was the Route 66. And I, I go, okay, this is familiar because Route 66 goes through Tulsa. And I knew Route 66, it goes from the east to the west. And I knew that I was closer to California, so I needed to drive east to get to the Grand Canyon. And I followed that road and I saw the signs and it led me to the place. And when I went down there, God just began to overflow. I hiked to the bottom, was drinking water, it was just me and Jesus. And God just began to wash. He just said, Paul, I saw a little waterfall. And I said, man, sometimes I just feel like my insecurities, my inadequacies feel like this waterfall that just keeps on coming. And God said, no, no, you, you misinterpret that, Paul. That waterfall is my grace that just keeps on flowing. And in that moment, man, I just, I fell to my knees. I said, God, thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for your grace. It's like the salt. I mean, Jesus took our contamination on the cross. He dove into the contaminated river for our sake and he made it clean again. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you, God, that you're continuing to just renew and redeem. And God, I thank you, Lord, for things that I'm praying for. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. You're making all things new and everything the clean water touches, it flourishes. I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes today. Maybe you're here right now and unintentionally you've held on to some hurts, some wounds, some bitterness. Maybe you've just been caught in comparison, just looking at other people's lives on Instagram. Maybe you need to switch to a flip phone for a little bit. And maybe you're contaminated with worry. It's just worry, it's just, you say, Paul, it's not that bad. It's just a little bit of worry. And you can drink contaminated water for a while but eventually it makes you unproductive. Why not give that worry over to God? Cast your cares upon the Lord. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about the family. I'm worried about this situation. It's out of my control. Maybe it's shame, shame from past mistakes, shame from things you wish you would have done different, business decisions, things you said, things you should have said. Maybe it's guilt from sin. Maybe you've opened the door to bad habits again. And God's saying, let me heal the water in your heart. Just like David said, you lead me beside still waters and you restore my soul. God wants to heal the waters in your soul today. He wants to bring the calmness, the peace, the forgiveness, the grace. Why don't we just stand to our feet today with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you don't mind, just hold in for a moment. We'll dismiss in just a minute. But if that's you right now, if I was talking to you, if God was talking to you, I'll tell you this, it's not a land problem. It's not a fruit problem. It's a water problem.
And God can heal that. God can heal that. Condemnation never made a Christian grow. But grace, it sure does. Guilt never made a husband better. But grace sure does. Shame never made a wife or a mom be a better mom or a better wife. But I tell you, the grace of God sure does. And repentance opens the door for the healing to flow. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, that's me, I I need God to bring some healing in the waters of my soul so that the land can be productive again, the life. I want you to just raise your hand if that's you, God speaking to you, yes sir, yes sir, yes ma'am, yes. Yeah, from the front to the back. Why don't you just leave your seat with hands raised? In fact, if you didn't raise your hand, you just wanna come down and just, yeah, just bring it before God. Don't care what anyone else thinks. I go to the altar call too. (laughs) This is a place of healing. This is a place of rest. This is a place of grace. This is a place to get victory back in your life again. Maybe you wanna come with your spouse. Maybe you wanna come with your kids. Maybe you wanna come with that friend that's beside you. Or maybe you just say, man, I just gotta get down there because I've been carrying some shame. I've been carrying worry. I've been holding on to fear for too long. I've been holding on to shame for too long. I've been beating myself up over things and I gotta get back. I gotta get the water pure again. It's gotten contaminated. Lord, bring the healing in Jesus' name. Bring the purification in Jesus' name. Cleanse out the junk in Jesus' name. Let's just begin to worship. Would you lead us in this song? If you wanna come down to this altar, come and join us. Let's take a few minutes just to lift our hands and our hearts to Jesus. Yeah. Lord, I give you my heart. Make all things new. A renewed mind. A renewed spirit. Lord, I thank you, God, for your grace. Touching every corner. Healing the water in Jesus' name. Lord, have your Healing the water. Healing the water. Forgive, forgive. Let the forgiveness of God just flow through you this morning. The mercy and the grace of God. He loves you. He forgives you. He forgives you. He cares about you. He cares about that. He can fix that. Jesus. Fine. 
grace is here right now, his peace is here right now. Lord, I pray for every person here. God, you said that everything the clean water touches, it flourishes. And I thank you that today we've heard the clean water. And God, your word has gone forth from a clean understanding. So God, I pray, Lord, as it it is read today, as it's in this place, your word, everything it touches flourishes. So God, I pray for this church family, all of us, God, Lord, that this would be a season of flourishing, productivity, growth in the areas of our life, God. For anyone who's experienced a weakness in a certain area, God, an area that feels unproductive, I thank you, Lord, that today your word has gone forth and the repentance, God, opens the door for healing to flow in the waters of their heart. And God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as that heart is purified, God, as the mind is renewed, as the salt is applied, I thank you in Jesus' name, God, that there's gonna be just a greater change that begins to happen in the hearts of every person here, in their situations, in their relationships, in their families.